Um, this week on the Eldritch Lorecast. Hot, spicy takes. Ben Riggs, Ben Riggs. He declared dead the golden age of tabletop role-playing games. Oh. We got more AI talk. If we could replace the powerful and the rich with AI, then there would be laws coming out right now to stop AI. Wizards. They'll probably employ some people still. I'm going to be leveling some James hate. Yeah, and I thought that's too much, but no, if James brings it, then it's fine. All that and more right now. Okay. 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 Uh, okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Eldritch Lawcast, to the number one podcast you listen to when you want hot takes, hot spicy takes. That's right. This is where you get your wicked wings. This is where you get your hot Mexican style, hot, hot burritos. This podcast, get your hot tabletop RPG takes. Um, because we're we're dishing them out. Ooh, that's right. No Mercy Merwin this week is going to be mm-hmm. dropping the hot takes. Dale Kingsmill coming in with the the king the king's decree. That's right. That's going to be dropping. Oh. And James hates going to be d- doing his thing too. I'm going to be I'm going to be leveling some James hate. Oh, yeah. there you go. See? I was going to say that, and I thought, that's too much, but no, if James brings it, then it's fine. Uh, my name's Ben Byrne, uh, and I don't even need to write a pun for my name because it is about to get hot in here, <laughs> starting with James Hake. James, what's a game that you played during uh, the, the Christmas break that you enjoyed uh, or would like to play in the near future? Ben, I feel like you really set me up to fail on this one, <laughs> bringing out I? the hot takes. What did you like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we got to you know palate cleanser first. Take a take a bit of ice cream. Take a bit of the 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 uh, what do, what do they call it? What's the cucumber like dip? The salsa? Tzatziki? No, that's tzatziki? Not. tzatziki. Yeah, bit of tzatziki first, and then we get into the hot takes. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Happy New Year! I uh, <laughs> well, I I, I playtested the MCDM RPG. Last weekend yes. with with you Ben and with our Indeed. with our invisible man in the shadows Dante as well, um, and I had a pretty good time. The game has gotten better since I played it at PAX Australia, and I'll say generally my opinion on the game remains the same, which is that it's uh, it does it, it scratches a lot of the same itches that D and D scratches in a slightly mm-hmm. different way, and I mm-hmm. I had a good time playing it. I I had a conversation yesterday with a game designer friend of mine in the car. Uh, about its four keywords, about its tactical, sure. cinematic, fantasy, heroism. And yeah, as as before, really my opinion has not changed insofar as I think it does fantasy great, I think it does heroic great, and tactical and cinematic are very hard to marry. Yeah. They're often at cross-purposes because tactics about thinking what to do and cinematic is doing it in a, a grand way. Wound up comparing it to a the Dragon Heist campaign that I just started over the break as well, where uh, I take the book Dragon Heist and I, I mostly play it straight but more I play it how I designed it and not how Wizards published it, which often means, you know, I roll back some of the editing changes and I also kind of apply, you know, five years of what I've learned about game design in the past. Because that friend of mine said that combat, I, it was very flattering to me. I felt very good. That combat is the best D&D combat I've played ever, maybe. 
because he, like me, is someone who gets very sort of bored by D&D combat. Bored like, you know, in the sort of ADHD way where it's like I, I, my brain has started buzzing off in different directions and oh, and now I'm on my phone and oh, what was going on? Oh my God. Uh, just because it's, it's all the usual pitfalls of D&D combat, long breaks between turns, lots of micro decisions, which often don't make that that big of a difference at the table. And uh, the thing that that Dragon Heist combat ameliorated was the stakes were very clear at all times and people were making decisions and seeing their results immediately in ways that significantly changed the course of the, uh, the, the action. This is, a, this is an encounter for people who haven't played the opening encounter of Dragon Heist. This is an encounter in the Yawning Portal Inn where a bunch of Xanathar Guild goons break in. And in the book, it's really, it's not really much of a fight. That is not what I wrote. What I wrote was a bar fight with Xanathar guild goons, and then a troll breaks out and uh, the Sturges come off and the proprietor of the awning portal, Durnan, with his big magic greatsword kills the troll while you kind of deal with the chaos going all around it. Then all these guild goons come in, they go for the mark. Everyone leaps into action and they all deal with the different Xanathar goons in their own way while the Mark is trying to flee. There's all sorts of guys rolling around as a bar fight breaks out. You know, the instant the first punch is thrown, everyone starts beating each other up because that's the way a bar fight goes. And just like every turn, the state of play changed. But the decisions were simple and straightforward enough that people felt like they were making tactical choices while cinematic action happened around them. And that was with first level characters with not a lot of choices. Uh, to make. And I felt like the MCDM RPG, even with all the cool tactical options available to us, didn't always succeed in the way that that simple combat encounter like wanted us to. I'm not sure I'll always feel this way. I think, you know, tactical encounters where you have a bunch of options available to you can be really good, but they get better the better you know the system and the less time you have to spend thinking about what it is you actually want to do with all the options available to you. And I felt like maybe those first level characters I didn't even put this in my feedback form. I'm only just thinking of it now as I say it, but I think that all the options that were available to me at first level uh, actually made the game a little bit uh, maybe less tactical because I spent more time thinking about what I was even able to do rather than what I could do effectively, which to me is what the what tactics are really about. I mean, I, I think combat is definitely where that game sings to me. And I'm like, yes, this is, you know, I, I felt really bad because I kept interrupting other people, either trying to take their turns or when we're de- deciding where in the initiative order we, we who wants to go next, because I was like, wait, but if we do this, doesn't mean that happens. And Roman, who was jamming for us, would be like, yes, that's what that would happen if you did that. And I was like, all right, guys, what we should do, what we should do is this, um, which felt great. Also, uh, you want to make sure you're not piloting uh, the the combat for everybody else at the table, but but that discussion uh, was very enjoyable. Um, and negotiation. Sorry, I want to talk about piloting other people because uh, this game uses the same initiative system as Lancer, another highly tactical war game adjacent RPG that I like, uh, mm-hmm. where a player goes, any player, choose, choose a player, player goes, and an enemy goes, and a player goes, and it rotates like that. In Lancer, it happens all the time. Uh, people wind up, one person kind of winds up wargaming the whole table if you really right. want a tactical master stroke to go off, right? I love having a lot of control over every character in play in tactical video games like Fire Emblem, where the goal is controlling an army, or in like a war game where, yeah, you are one person controlling a big army. 
finding that balance of coming up with a cool tactical combo that feels satisfying when you've got four different people all doing their own thing without suddenly piloting someone else. That's a hard balance to strike. I'm not sure if I could find a way to do that in an RPG. it is that my two experiences with the MCDM game have been like, it's great when everybody's on the same page mm-hmm. and it can be a little bit niggly when people aren't on the same page in terms of what they want out of the combat. Because if, like me, I'm like, I, I really, because of that, the way the initiative order works, once an enemy has gone, they can't go again until the next uh, uh, round begins. So I said to everyone, don't attack those guys, they've gone. We don't have to worry about them for a round. Attack these dudes over here because if we can wipe them out before mm. they get a chance to go or at least cripple them before they get a chance to go, and that kind of tactics really spoke to I was like, yes, this is cool. Mm-hmm. Like I can strategize this out. The problem becomes the Barbarian or the Fury um, uh, says, but I want to attack these guys. You know, mm. I'm already over here. These mm-hmm. are the guys that I want to attack. This is what my character would do, which is a fine thing to want in the game. Both of those things are fine things to want, but it does create that tension between like player intention uh, and what the players want out of the game. I try to make suggestions without making demands of other players saying like, hey, maybe we should attack these guys, but you do you, do you, you know. Also, just quickly, negotiation, much better. Enjoyed it. Um, uh, uh, now that I've seen like the actual negotiation rules written down, I'm actually kind of sneakily going to try, uh, play testing them in a 5e game, uh, putting them over here, um, to, to see how they go. So I will report back. Um, the uh, Dale Kingsmill, what about you? What's a game that you've played during your apparent non-break, uh, that you, uh, have enjoyed or something you want to play? I haven't, I, d- I haven't played a game for weeks. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so I've been. I've been spending my time with family and stuff. Um, but uh, looking forward, I am exciting. Uh, I am exciting. That's a true statement. But also I am excited to uh, to get more uh, goes in of the MCDM game as well, uh, the playtest material there, because I know it's shifted. But I think the tricky thing for me is that I'm I'm going to get really excited. I think it's going to kick in uh, to like, oh, I want to play it. Uh, once we get sort of to the phase of like, I, I don't know, sort of higher levels, different levels, character creation is going to be a big stepping point. I'm going to have like specific moments where I'm like, now I really want to play the playtest. Um, sure. Other games that I, I would like to um, sort of play a little bit more of uh, in, in the coming months let's say um i would love to play a little bit more of uh world of darkness i I had a go of that Mm. with um with uh adam carnivale and jackson bailey and had a great time uh so i'd love to play more of that uh a little bit of call of cthulhu is maybe singing to my soul i don't know i just i kind of like this kind of weird investigative thing at the moment that's where my my spirit is is at okay 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 well that's, that's good to know that's good to know uh sean merwin what about your very fine self speaking of weird investigative things uh <laughs> i read the blade runner uh rpg starter set which sounds like it's pretty cool i want to play that i also reread the alien rpg starter set I've got into a little starter set kick to see how different people do different things. Uh, I finally got a chance to run the finale of episode four of Citadel of the Unseen Sun, 
uh, spoiler, we, we had the light hunter battle and I really, really revved it up. We hadn't played in forever. They were eighth level and really didn't get a chance to do some serious fighting and resource management over several combats. So I beefed that mother up and we really, we really played it (laughs) and, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to playing all the games. I want to play all the games. I do enjoy the Light Hunter. I had my party fight one uh, a couple of months ago now. Actually, it would have been. But ever since, they've been looking over their shoulders. And because mm. Astoria in Grim Hollow is a land of eternal nighttime, the sun never rises there, any time I'm like, you see some brightness at the end of the street mm-hmm. where a lantern, a light hunter? Is it a light hunter? I'm like, mm-hmm. no, it's not a light hunter. It's just a lantern this time. Quick shout out I wanted to give that I've been playing a hell of a lot of over the the uh, kind of holiday break and still now is a game called Mythic Battles Ragnarok. I think I've brought it up before. I just love it. Super fun, super tactical. But what I love about it is it's uh, Norse mythology theming and just having Thor on the battlefield fighting Tia, hitting him with Mjolnir, just just that imagery uh, really uh, tickles that part of my brain that loves mythology. So um, it's it's good fun. It's a Kickstarter game. I don't know if you can buy it, but um, Google it, I guess, and find out. Speaking of frustrating things, um, something that's not frustrating, I'm sure, because I've just looked at the run sheet and realized what's next, is uh, quick congratulations and shout out. Speaking of MCDM, uh, their crowdfunding finished with 4.6 million uh, on backer kit. And over 30,000 backers. That's a lot of backers. I'm so That's happy. That's a lot of backers. Them, honestly. Somebody told me it's the third most successful tabletop RPG Kickstarter ever of a written product. Uh, Avatar mm. at 9 million being the highest, and I couldn't mm. find what was second. Maybe it's the MCDM game. I'm not sure, but um, uh, something was in there. But yeah, the, the, the golden age of RPGs tarries on, it seems, <laughs> at least for the time being. Uh, so congratulations to MCDM uh, for such a remarkable achievement. A gentleman by the name of Ben Riggs, who mm. wrote the book Slaying the Dragon. Uh, I interviewed him on this other podcast, so you can go back and check that out about that book. Uh, he put up a post where he declared dead the golden age of tabletop role-playing games of the last few years. And it got a quite vehement and quick response from many people, some agreeing, some disagreeing. But most curiously, it got a pretty uh, vivid response from tabletop role-playing game designers who generally don't get into the fray on, on these things. And it wasn't in any place. You can find it on Facebook under Ben uh, Riggs Writes. You can find it on EN World. It's, it's in various mm-hmm. places. I have a lot to say, but I would rather have other people speak first to this uh, if you did, in fact, read it and have any opinions on it. And if you don't, I will certainly ramble on from here. Well, just for context sake, my understanding, because I read it again on EN World yesterday, um, and my understanding of the kind of the thesis point of his argument, because it is a little rambly, it is a little, um, you know, it might have been better conceived as a, as a tightly written blog article rather than a series of tweets or, or on Facebook, wherever he first delivered it. But from what I could understand, his thesis seemed to be that with the audience fracturing into different systems, now that we have 
the MCDM game with its following and we have um, Cobalt Press doing Tales of the Valiant and we have Critical Role uh, with Daggerheart being their kind of big fantasy campaign game. Uh, it's fracturing the audience out into, um, you know, areas where it's going to be more difficult for any individual company to succeed in the tabletop RPG space as opposed to the prior situation we apparently had uh, as asserted which is lots of companies succeeding off the success of this one system that had which was 5e which had one big audience um is that fair to say is that kind of what you all took as the kind of central point of what he was saying more or less Mm -hmm. yeah Um, do i agree with that central point Right. I have thoughts, but I've talked a lot already. I'll, I'll baton pass to Dale. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say heaps on it. Um, I kind of disagree with the premise. Um, I understand where the argument is coming from. You know, I've talked about before the idea of, you know, uh, Coke and Pepsi with, with D&D being the kind of Coke. They're the ones who have to convert mm. people to drinking cola drinks and, you know, other games just have to steal some of theirs, right? Like it's, it's the, the cola drinkers in this metaphor being people who play tabletop RPGs. Um, <laughs> but I do think that it ignores a lot of the deeper nuance of what is not actually one industry. It's, it's several different industries that all kind of hover around each other and, and do different things and fulfill different things. Not least of all, the fact that there, there are lots of people who play tabletop RPGs who don't even play fantasy tabletop RPGs. There are people whose bread and butter are the sci-fi games. There are people whose, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not, ah, D&D the big duck. Yes. <laughs> but does that mean that they are the be and also I don't know. It's just we've been through periods before where D and D was actually not this monolithic central pillar that had to be healthy for the rest of the industry to be healthy. That's happened before, and we've come through it. It's, it's just it's just different waves of different things. I don't know. I think uh, assuming that the golden age of tabletop RPGs is um, bound to the health of of D and D as a game, uh, uh, and Wizards of the Coast as a company selling that game, uh, so this sort of Dragonheart style thing. I, I see where it's coming from. I disagree with it. The takeaway of, of mine from his post is that a lot of the disagreement comes from designers who have a sense of artistic merit for tabletop games whereas ben's argument is predominantly on the financial situation of people making games ben riggs ben riggs who did i say you said ben ben riggs the guy who made this golden age of rpg post the anxiety that ben brings up is an anxiety that i that i have had as well as someone who primarily up to this point has existed within the D creative ecosystem where yeah if D is no longer top dog then we need to find ways to kind of ride out the fracturing market if hasbro is cutting down wizard staff then well probably means fewer opportunities for uh for people working with wizards if uh mcdm is making a brand new rpg well then we have to make inroads with mcdm if critical role is making a brand new rpg we have to make inroads with darrington press it's 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 a lot of it's it, it means that the the familiar networks that we've created for the D ecosystem need to be totally like the the field needs to be retilled we need to go and do all the legwork of making those connections with other companies that that maybe has some carryover from RPGs, 
right? Like James Intercasso and I know each other from D and D. Ivan Van Norman and I know each other from other critical role stuff. Like, so I, I, you know, I feel like I'm in a good place, but there's a lot of people who really aren't in a good place because of that. And so I, I, I respect that anxiety. On the other hand, from an artistic point of view, yeah. I think it's great that D&D may not be, you know, the the sole monolithic top dog anymore because there's a lot of great RPGs out there that people never seem to give the time of day. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, but I also don't necessarily disagree, like suggesting that the golden age of tabletop RPGs was over and a lot of people took umbrage with that when uh, maybe what he meant um, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe what would have been a more accurate statement was the golden age of D&D is over. Yeah, maybe maybe that's true. I don't, I don't really know. Like uh, that 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 stands to be proven. I mean, something that uh, Sly pointed out. I, as I mentioned, I was listening to the Sly Flourish podcast to get more context around this uh, specific situation because I knew that that he talked about it. As he pointed out, it's like Five E sold so many uh, books over its ten year run that the likelihood, just on a pure you know, probability scale that sixth edition doesn't sell as well as, as fifth edition is probably true. But at the same time, like where, when are we comparing that to as well? Are we comparing that to the first year of fifth edition or the second year of fifth edition? Because I would just uh, as an offhand uh, uh, prediction say sixth edition or, or as he called it, sixth edition, 5.5e, the core books that are coming out next year will probably sell better than the fifth edition books did in their first year just based on the size of the audience currently will they sell on a you know percentage will will, will the new books sell uh the same percentage uh uh compared to the current fifth edition books as the new fifth edition books sold to a percentage comparison of the fourth edition books i hope that makes sense made kind of sense in my head um you know i don't know but does that mean the golden age of 5e is over no, like, uh, you know, maybe it is, maybe it's not. Perhaps but I, it's yeah, it's one just... of our greatest human flaws that we keep trying to attribute different things a golden age. <laughs> That's actually what my mm. wife said. Is she was right. like, you can, you can never recognize a golden age when you're in it. You know, right. that's uh, a core belief. Sorry, Sean, go ahead. And and, and even a thousand years later, historians argue about when the golden age of Athens or Rome or Japan or blank even ended and why it ended, you know, you can go to a conference and see very nerdy people argue about such things 2000 years later. Is the golden age have to do with creativity? If, if it is, then we are in the golden age of RPGs and we will continue to be because now, thanks to fifth edition and critical role and stranger things and all of those, uh, things, we have more people creating than ever before. You can go, just go onto itch and just download game after game after game after game of just incredible great stuff. Does it make mm. any money? Not really. But is it great content? Yes. So if the golden age is then about the industry, then we can start asking those questions. We can't answer them because as we just said, we won't know until things happen. What I do know is we are in a, an expanded economic uptick for the industry because more people are coming into the, the game. We saw sales continue to rise. We saw companies begin to spring up and sustain themselves because of the open gaming license. 
Will that continue? I don't know. Do we need a company with a lot of money to do marketing, to bring new people, to continue to bring new people in? Yes. Will that company be Hasbro? Maybe. Can some other company, can MCDM with their $4.6 million million windfall now start creating things and putting out Netflix shows and movies? Probably not. If not them, who? That is what I'm constantly worried about, as James said, as a person who works in the industry, who freelances in the industry, whose income and life depend on being able to create things that people buy. I want there to be more and more and more and more people coming into this industry, and I want there to be a company that can bring those people in. Well, as you mentioned, Free League earlier, you know, as a company that worked with a lot of IPs, um, is it the, they, they were the alien RPG uh, mm-hmm. folks, um, you know, can bring people in uh, uh, cyberpunk with Artel Saurian kind of uh, coming in through the Netflix TV show that it had uh, and the video game. Um, you know, it seems like there's probably none of these things may be as big as D&D, but it does feel like there are avenue other avenues for people to get into um, the industry now from a non D and think I think we underestimate the amount of money, the amount of time, the amount of effort it takes to do so on a scale that is appreciable. Sure. Do people come into D and uh, because of these other games or come into RPGs because of these other games? I'm sure. Is it to the point where they are where that we're adding players to replace the players that are leaving the hobby. I don't think we appreciate the, that cost yeah. and what it really is. All of this makes me think of, <laughs> this is so nerdy, but Themis sailing on his way to Italy when he heard a divine voice call to him across the sea, the great god Pan is dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there w- there was that atmosphere in Ben Riggs's uh, dissertation of like, and the crowds at the conventions will dry up and we will see no more conventions in the future it's years. The Book of Revelations. <laughs> yeah, it really did have that kind of attitude to it. Uh, as a history major in college, history is hard to write. You really need to get your facts straight. You need to get your ducks in a row, which is why you have 50-page dissertations on the importance of collard greens during the American Civil War, right? Uh, Something as large as this, you might want to take the time, if you consider yourself a historian who's trying to sell sell history books, to uh, check your facts, get those straight before you start making extrapolations on facts that are just incorrect, straight up wrong. Uh, it's, it's, it's important to do that. So yeah, that happened. Uh, that's, that, that was the discourse of Twitter for the weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. hope everybody had fun. Look forward to playing again next week. Um, uh, speaking of discourse, speaking of discourse, I knew you would say it. <laughs> You, you, you win. Bing, 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 bing. And because you won, uh, Dale, do you want to set up the context for this uh, piece of news? Want is such a strong word. Uh, (laughs) You can say no. That's fine as well. We got more AI talk. (laughs) Woo! 
the yeah. year, the word of 2024. Baby. AI. It's just what you want. Yay. Uh, so, Hot off the heels of the last one. Yeah. Real good. Real good. My understanding is that this <sighs> time around, <laughs> while uh, putting out promo pieces uh, about Magic the Gathering, uh, Wizards of the Coast has used, basically the, the cards were placed in kind of an artistic um, sort of backdrop for the promo images. And um, the backdrops in question uh, had some, some AI-generated elements. And people said, hey, that's using AI. <laughs> Wizards of the Coast said, no, it's not. Um, and, and then people said, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's AI. And they said, no, no, no. And then people said, no, that is AI. And they said, we've looked into it. It turns out it's AI. Uh, ben, you probably have more details on this than I do. The thing is, so the AI was not in the art of the magic cards itself. No, that, no. That's probably worth pointing out for, for what it's worth. The AI was the uh, marketing material, as you said, that they wanted to market the, the, the cards with. And the other thing that Wizards said, and they weren't trying to, to shift blame, but they just clarified that this was a vendor, a marketing agency probably, that they said, hey, we want to market these cards. Can you come up with some uh, some ad creative, some marketing material for us? And we can throw that through our social media. Uh, again, they said it's still our responsibility to double check these things. So they weren't trying to shift blame. But it's context to have, I think, uh, that makes this interesting is because, A, using an advertising or a marketing agency is completely normal. Companies do it all the time. And B, how ubiquitous are AI tools becoming outside of the RPG industry, particularly in the graphic design industry for things like marketing agencies, photography, the fashion industry um, for retouching? You know, Photoshop has these tools baked into it now. Canva, apparently they're terrible, but Canva has these tools baked into it now. I'm sure there are many other programs I'm not privy to that probably have these generative tools. I I hate the word AI. It should just be called generative um, yes, I, I, I can tell you how ubiquitous uh, AI image generation is in marketing. Uh, my, my girlfriend works in in the ad agency, and uh, junior level advertisers, uh, advertising graphic designers, I should say, when they're asked to turn a concept around in in twelve hours, there's really only one recourse left to them. Where this is, it's productivity accelerationism, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's whenever a new technology comes out, the the people who run big companies want to squeeze as much money out of the new technology as they can. They do that by ramping up production to as fast as a new technology will allow them. And so it does not surprise me at all that if Wizards contracts out their advertising, that their advertisers will give them AI because that's mm. the way the ad engine, uh, the ad in uh, agencies already seem to be running is to crank productivity as high as they possibly can uh you know with 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 no concern to whatever ethics we may have somebody brought up adobe uh stock uh having ai images in them and i think that's an interesting uh uh thing to talk about because i was speaking to someone just yesterday about um adobe's use of ai art and the tools that are in photoshop now don't quote me on this because i don't know 100 percent that this is true but the suggestion was that uh, adobe's generative tools are generating from their thousands of images in adobe stock is that ethical use of ai 
I don't know. I don't know. I'm just asking questions. I'm not suggesting it is or it isn't. But I thought it was an interesting uh, example that I hadn't thought of well, because they own all those images. Go, Dale. I don't know whether um, this is this is a shadow of a memory because it was sure. outside of the, the tabletop RPG industry stuff and it was months and months ago. But I do remember there being kind of a controversy around specifically the Adobe stock and the, the AI generative stuff through that because they were using stock images um, that they, again, didn't have permission to use or, or artists had, you know, ticked a right. box that says, you know, opt out from this thing and they weren't being opted out or, right. you know, things things along those lines is what what the the, the little uh, squeaky voice in the back of my head is is remembering. So I think that there are lots of, it's, it's another one of those cases where it's like, this has the potential to be an ethical use case, but instead we're just kind of pirating all of the images that we begin with. Um, mm. which kind of, you know, you end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. well, we've, we've, we've poisoned the, what's, what's that thing from, from legalese where it's like the, the, the chain of evidence you've poisoned uh, the apple of the fruit of the whatever. poisonous tree. Thank ah. you so much, Sean. <laughs> um, <laughs> that thing. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of that going on, uh, in my opinion. I do think I agree with everything you've said. I think it's all very understandable. I also think that the, the final statement from Watsi was, um, very reasonable. I do think it's another interesting example of someone maybe replying publicly <laughs> <laughs> sooner <laughs> and from maybe a lower position than is, is maybe wise. I mean, immediate, I feel like, just because having seen the images, particularly the first one that pinged on people's radar, it was fairly clearly uh, generated by a generative uh, algorithm. But um, but responding immediately and being like, "No, no, it's not AI," is like maybe well, let's, I mean, talk, no, let's, error. let's talk. Let's talk it through. <laughs> Well, this is the thing, though. This is what I. Um, th this is why I think this is an, an interesting topic, um, generally, especially in light of what happened late last year with uh, the new D and D and and that YouTuber who accused um, wizards of using AI, but AI art back then. Is I agree with you. The promotional marketing art for these Magic the Gathering cards had that clearly kind of um, uncanny valley photographic quality well, it's not that even AI that. It's generally the, has. It's that you can, and people did, zoom in on specific joining elements uh, with different materials, right? You know, metal meets wood or whatever. And yeah. that is a, a point where um, generative AI tends to struggle. And you can see that, you know, wires end up like merging or disappearing in a way that sure, is very sure, sure. Of, of generative AI. Um, Sorry, I just, no, 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 that's okay. And, and I think that that's fair. But it, it, um, I, I don't mean to come off in this conversation if I did earlier as defending either wizards or, um, uh, AI art in general. I just want to be, uh, uh, contextual about the conversation. And what makes me uncomfortable is just when we, I felt, feel like got to a point from last year where we were like, all right, let, look, look, everyone, let's just keep it sensible. Let's just keep it sensible. Let's not start and the then, witch hunt scanning every piece of art for AI generative clues. And then this happens and it's like, all right, I guess we need to start scanning every piece of art for generative <laughs> well, AI clues. The, the other thing that's happening is that where we are just like, like James is saying about having to get the art out faster and faster, right? We're also living in an age where it's like, 
responses are going to come out faster and faster. People yeah. are going to immediately, you know, we've got people accusing them of, of using AI and they had to come out fairly quickly and address that. There is mm-hmm. an expectation that people will speak quickly because if you, if you delay, if you take your time, if you talk, if you come up with a reasonable response, people are like, why didn't you say it sooner? Mm-hmm. And if you take your time, more and more accusations have time to come out. You know what I mean? And so it's this bizarre kind of catch-22 situation where if you wait and say something reasonable and get all your facts straight, you're damned. And if you mm. say something very quickly and get a response out there immediately and try to cut off this this bad <coughs> press as it's happening, you're also damned. Mm. For those of you out there fighting the AI is horrible and and it should never happen. Keep the fight up. Art is appreciated. Are the artists aren't. Yeah. Words are appreciated. Rules are appreciated. The rule makers and the writers aren't. In general, work is appreciated, but the workers aren't. So keep mm. up the fight. Yes, you are going to go wrong sometimes. And I, last week I was the opposite. Last week I said, "Know what the f talking about." The, keep up the fight. Just know that in thirty years you will have lost that fight. It's okay. It was still a good fight, but maybe even in 10 years, everyone's going to be using AI generated art in their work. We're not going to be able to stop it. I wish we could. And then in 20 years, there's going to be AI writing all the games you play. And now you're saying this is outrageous and I hate this. In 20 years, you're going to be like, hey, this new game is up and, and and it's great. And it's just... The way things go, it's the way society goes. Fight it Sean, as long I'm, and as hard as you can. I'm so glad <laughs> you bring this up because this is something that I've been stewing on this whole conversation and how it relates to our golden age of RPGs conversation. Mm-hmm. Because yep. yes, at a certain level, barring a truly unbelievable level of like government protectionism, uh, this is going to be kind of just the way things are. Um, and if you look at companies like wizards or companies like Disney or any media entertainment company that is considered, uh, the, I don't know, the, the, the biggest market, right? Someone who wants extremely broad, popular appeal, then the stuff they're making is kind of like it's had its rough edges sanded off already. AI generated stuff. I think is exactly what those companies want to sell. Like that's why they've taken it up so quick. They want stuff that will be kind of, you know, it all kind of curves in towards the mean. They want someone, some product that will get everyone in the door. Ultimately what that will do, if they all pivot to AI, they, they might have a couple of people, you know, running the machine, turning the crank, you know, doing last edits on the images or being a final managing editor like Jeremy Crawford is today. That may be true. They'll probably employ some people still, but it means that there will be an audience for let's call it boutique handmade RPG <laughs> products, <laughs> right? You, you Bakeries exist even though factory line white bread is pumped out every single day. And that is an economic problem. Yes. And it is worth postponing that day as long as possible. But the wise thing to do for the small creator is to get your ducks in a row so that you can own your bakery. I remember having uh, an argument with a lecturer in, in my uh, digital media uh, degree. 
where he was saying that cinema is dying. The golden age of cinema is over. And I, I took his meaning. His meaning was, you know, we're, we're trending towards, you know, home stuff. We've got Netflix. We've got all these things where we can, we can stay in and have the comfort of our own couch and not having to deal with strain. This was long pre-COVID. Mm. Um, but I, uh, by this point, I guess counted as a mature age student. I was in my fifth or sixth year. Um, and so I had uh, the mature age student uh, sickness of, of talking in the middle of the lecture. And I put up my <laughs> hand and I said, okay, but we still do go to the movies. We go there for events. We go there for premieres. We still go to the theater. Like <laughs> if, if video killed the radio star, how come we still have radio? You know what I mean? It's, I think it's, again, again, it is very, very difficult to actually kill a medium. It's something I keep saying I all the time. Yeah. I don't um, know that the, sorry, go ahead. Finish I your, think the, finish the most accurate and devastating thing that James said was they'll probably still hire some people. <laughs> Yeah, somebody's got to run the machine. This, this is the person I was speaking to who works in a graphic field was saying like their job will eventually just become data entry, basically. Every industry will go as cheap as they possibly can. The only way we're going to stop AI, the same way, the only way we were going to stop automation for factories or stop small farms from going under in, with agribusiness the only way we're going to stop that is if we can replace the powerful and the rich with AI. If we could replace the powerful and the rich with AI, the then there would be laws coming out right now to stop AI. If we well, could that's exactly get it. rid of you politicians, know, we have- then we would get laws saying no AI. Yes. Um, Roman in chat said, I feel like progress is really outracing any laws that could be created, um, mm-hmm. which is the thing about that is while it's true, um, it has always been true. We've just gotten into a weird place where legislators are like, but we can't keep up. And they're fighting for, oh, well, we need, do we need to wait for it to stop so that we can make something that fits whatever it is going to be forever. But that's not a thing. When, when cars Hmm. were being made, they couldn't keep up with the progress there. And they just started coming out with laws because having some laws is better than no laws. But this is like, you know, we have regulations around things like um, like drones. When drones started coming out, there were regulations put in place, not laws because we couldn't keep up with the, with the progress with drone development, but something, some little thing. And let me say right now that that little thing cannot be a fine because the rich people are the ones doing the thing. Stop making the punishment be a fine. Just for context in terms of fighting the fight, uh, I I don't have the full information about this, so I'm not going to speak to it necessarily, but there is currently an active court case in the United States uh, the plaintiffs uh, are three uh, Magic the Gathering artists uh, who are suing Midjourney for mm-hmm. scraping them among many other art uh, artists uh, to be used by Midjourney. Um, and the details around that are interesting. Um, uh, I will choose not to speak to it because, again, I might have the context incorrect, but go, go Google it. There's mm-hmm. articles about it on... I think uh, Dicebreaker, off the top of my head, and EN World, if you want to get more information around that. So there are people fighting the fight, and the outcome of that court case will be interesting. Uh, not that I have much um, uh, uh, hope that it will necessarily slow progress all that much. Um, I think it's interesting what you said, Dale, though, about you know new technology. Video will kill the radio star, so to speak, uh, and, and all that sort of thing. 
Theatre is an interesting one to to bring up because theatre is often in the performing arts world referred to as, you know, you go you go into film to make money and you go into theatre to be good, you know, <laughs> uh, either at your job or just like for your soul. And I don't think the fear for the industry is that there will be no handcrafted RPGs for people to play, but just that there will be no way to really make a living off of it except for the few who maybe uh, are fortunate enough to do so, you know, based on whatever Well, it's the great floor of capitalism, right? <laughs> Bleed it dry until it's the most efficient form possible where only a couple of people are making money and then everyone has to move on to a new industry. I mean, that's the that's the thing. The golden that, age. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing that, that breaks my heart, I suppose. I was listening to, I believe it was Stephen Fry who was talking about what AI removes is the art of making and it is in the making where the art happens not in the the finished product Mm -hmm. um or in the interaction with the product where the art happens not just the the thing itself and i think he's right there is a lot you know i have to remind myself even when i'm stressed about deadlines that I'm writing about vampires in a country where the sun never rises. This is sick, you know, like this is enjoyable. And even though I'm frustrated because the ideas I'm trying to express are complex and I can't quite get out on paper what I want to, it is in that moment of frustration where the art is, you know, occurring and that will never go away because of AI art. People who enjoy creating will continue to create no matter what. It's just how many hours in a day can you devote to that? If you're in the industry, you're in a very fortunate position that you can devote all the hours of your day to it because you feed yourself off of doing this this art literally, you know. But for folks who who need to work day jobs or whatever, uh, their time becomes more limited. Um, something something alter of uh, 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 capitalism. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I guess that's the concern more so that these things will go away entirely, but who will be able to devote their lives to it as an art form? And on that cheery note. <laughs> Woo! Discourse. Um, I told you. It's impossible to have a cheery conversation on this topic. So, <laughs> you know. Hot takes. <laughs> Um, uh, I do apologize. This next news item is not going to be any cheerier, but, uh, I would just thought that I would express, um, uh, sadness and condolences to the family of Brian Ansel. Uh, if you don't know Brian Ansel, who passed away recently, uh, is the co-creator of Warhammer, uh, and Citadel Miniatures, uh, founded Citadel Miniatures, um, and definitely had a huge impact on my life as someone who played Warhammer 40,000 as a child and continues to play war games that, Warhammer undoubtedly inspired in some capacity and love their miniatures. Um, uh, yeah, just wanted to quickly celebrate the the life and the person that was Brian Ansel. Hail to the the weird anti-Thatcherist politics of early Warhammer. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Welcome, folks, if you're raiding from Luna's uh, uh, stream. Luna, you beat us to it because I was actually planning to raid you had we finished our stream first. Um, but welcome everybody who's coming in. We've still got a little bit to go, so fear not. We're not about to go offline. Um, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, and you're just in time for the fun topics. Um, uh, <laughs> as we uh, turn to listener emails, uh, uh, 
James, what is our email address if folks want to email us? It's podcast at ghostfiregaming.com. Oh, he knows it. I've drilled him. <laughs> I've, uh, excellent. All right, starting with Peter's email. Uh, Peter emails in with a, a question that, that is no less philosophical than the previous conversations, I suppose, about clones and memories. Um, uh, I should bring up the clone spell, actually, for my own context because I didn't read it just before this. But uh, Peter's question basically asking when the clone, uh, so you cast the clone spell, you create a clone of yourself. It takes 120 days to mature. I believe it's like a fifth or sixth level spell uh, in fifth edition D&D. And after the clone matures, if you die, you awaken, the clone awakens and you continue on uh, your life. So it's kind of like a backup person spell. It's a, it's an insurance policy against death spell. And the question that Peter has is what memories of your life does the clone have? Does it have all of your memories up until the point that you died? Does it have all of your memories from the point that you cast the spell, but doesn't remember what happened after that? And do memories therefore live in the brain or the soul? Y'all ever seen the prestige? <laughs> Question answered. Watch that movie. <laughs> Great movie. One of my favorite sort of weird, weird sci-fi movies. Um, I've got an actual D&D answer for you, though. Uh, in the Forgotten Realms, there's an event called the Manchun Wars, where the evil wizard Manchun sort of Palpatine-like created a, a many, many, many backup clones of himself and threw an arcane glitch, essentially... When he died, all of his clones awakened at once uh, and started fighting each other for, you know, the the honor of being the real Manchun. Because, of course, they all believed they were the real Manchun. They possessed all the memories that the real one had. But we can say that all of those clones ultimately developed their own memories. So... Clearly, clones are discrete from one another. You might argue that because they were operating in parallel, it might not be the same as a sequence of clones. But to me, every single one of them believed they were the real Manchun. And Hmm. they were operating off of their own flawed knowledge that only they could have developed as clones. So it is not there. There is not continuity between clone iterations. Dale, you look like you're going to burst. I just, I'm just thinking about lots of different pop culture because you went to The Prestige, I went to X-Men. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of Altered Carbon. Okay. <laughs> uh, Sean, you got to think of your your clone pop culture reference. Um, I, am, I am not that bright. <laughs> um, yeah, no, in X-Men for the last uh, little while in the comic books, they have had, uh, yes, Roman, I did get the comics for Christmas. Um, I <laughs> So they've had kind of this setup where uh, through a, a very specific sequence of, of powers and choices, <laughs> they, they can uh, create clones that become basically literally the person right so if a person dies you can the the idea is to keep it as brief as i possibly can that uh professor x is keeping like a scan of everybody's memories and consciousness uh every mutant's memories and consciousness up to the moment that they die and then they just put it in the clone just pop it in the clone and uh and it is that person and we are kind of meant to accept that it is not. Don't treat it as like, oh, it's the fake version. It's not. It's not a, a, a Madeline Pryor situation. It is that person. It just is a cloned body. And that's where I am right now. 
And I feel like what, what James was saying about the Manchun Wars kind of backs it up. The idea that it's, um, that your, your memories are stored in, I, I don't know about the brain. The brain is the meat, but the, the mental consciousness, sure. I can kind of vibe with that because the idea that, you know, if it's your soul that is going in and lighting up all the clones, then surely they should have some kind of a like, shining with one another where they get each other's memories as they're developing them, but they don't. Mm. And I like this question because it brings to bear a point about making rules, which is if you don't have to be very, very specific about a very niche rule like this, don't. Because in my game, the story I want to tell is this clone doesn't know what just happened to its a predecessor because it's important to my plot. So therefore in this world, it works this way in this other game. It's very important that this clone know exactly what happened to its predecessor mm. for the story that I want to tell. So in this world, this is how this spell works. I don't mm. want it to, to be perfectly attuned and exact. I want that freedom. And so when you're designing rules like that, don't be afraid to, uh, to be a little vague, yet what, Dale? Vague and perhaps evocative. <laughs> evocative to the story that you are trying to tell. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cosmic Postman uh, brings up the Mauler twins from Invincible uh, as a fun exploration of this. They're a criminal who continues to clone himself. And because they always look identical, they can never tell who is the the original. And they always fight over who's the original and who's the clone. Mm. Um I also love the Altered Carbon example of this. The first season of Altered Carbon is is very intriguing. It has a very intriguing um, uh, premise, which is that, uh, you know, if, if you've never seen the series before or you're not familiar with it, everybody uh, is born and implanted with a stack, which is uh, kind of basically their brain that stores all their memory and personality and everything. And as long as the stack in the back of your neck is maintained after you die, it can be placed into another body referred to as a sleeve um, and so you can be placed into any, uh, any possible body, which means that, you know, uh, you can die in a, in a, um, you know, six foot tall, uh, male body. And then, uh, you know, the next body that you have, uh, uh, is not that is something completely different, which a leads. A very dull house. Uh, yeah. It's, it, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a interesting exploration of like identity as well, but the very wealthy, because it's a cyberpunk style, uh, uh, series, the very wealthy just clone their own physical bodies so that they can always come back in an exact replica of themselves. And the premise is that a very wealthy man hires a detective to solve the man's own murder because he died. That's literally an episode his, of Dollhouse. Uh, well, there you go. The killer um, was Frankie Rizzoli. Wow, you got to warn that stuff. Can I, I just throw back. that out there? Yeah, the end of Altered Carbon ends this way. Like <laughs> someone might want to go watch Dollhouse. <laughs> Don't worry about it now. Just they skip that episode. They have to watch Dials. <laughs> okay, fair enough. The Venn diagram. It's <laughs> Anyway, I love that premise for a D&D campaign is like you've got to solve a wizard's murder because the wizard doesn't know who killed them um, uh, and they came back as a clone. But the flip side, if your cosmology is kind of Warhammer 40K-ish where your soul goes into the warp and then is plucked back, you know, your, your clone kind of anchors it to the real world so you remember everything up to your death, 
um, that, that's also a fun way to go. So, you know, base it on, as Sean said, the law and the specifics of the story that you want to tell. If you want to ask questions, you can send them through to podcast at ghostfiregaming.com and we will take them and we will read them and we will answer them. Um, uh, otherwise, you can catch us next week. We will be back here streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash ghostfire underscore official at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on a Monday, or if you're in an Australian time zone, it's Tuesday, 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern uh, uh, Standard Time or Eastern Daylight Time, Australian Time. Um, I almost got through it without butchering it. Um, or you can catch us on YouTube, uh, Spotify, anywhere good podcasts are found. Uh, feel free to give us a rating, likes, all that stuff is appreciated because it gets us out to more listeners. I checked recently, I think we have something like 7,000 subs across youtube and spotify and uh the itunes platform so uh, if you've joined us recently welcome um uh, welcome to luna's rating party if you're still here as well um you can go check us out though all those places pew 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 pew. i don't know why i'm doing finger guns my name's been ben burn here joined as always by james hake sean merwin dale kingsmill and we will catch you all for hopefully a much calmer much nicer much more uh nerdier uh, a week next week. Talking let's do about a silly one RPGs. next time. <laughs> let's do a little. Let's get a little let's silly. Do it. <laughs> yeah, let's just get a little bit, a little bit cray cray on the, <laughs> a little bit off the hook. <laughs> you know what? Screw it. Let's just all drink next episode. The um, Irish forecast does not endorse uh, uh, drinking except for coffee in the morning. Um, I mean, we don't not endorse it. I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to say around. This is getting weird. I, should, I shouldn't have brought it up. I shouldn't have brought it up. I'm sorry. I've had a coffee. Did, I'm just. Did I'm we kinda... actually finish the podcast or not? I'm, I'm, I'm Are we on air? No, We're we still haven't on air. had a single bubba da bubba. Dale James showed Ben. I don't know whether we did that. Yeah, no, we did that bit, didn't we? Did we? No, I don't sure. remember. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you you can't have been burned here with James H. Sean Merwin, Dale Kingsmill. Memories of we'll see you next time. <laughs> oh, didn't I? Oh, we'll see you no. next time. Come back. Yeah. We'll always be here. We're here every week. Come hang out. It'll be great. Um, uh, uh, we yeah. had to get the wiggles out after that one, didn't we? Oh. Get ready. Oh. Like the, Dante asks, how do, how do I end this? And I know that you mean it metaphorically, but there's a part of my heart that's like, do you mean literally? Because it's happened before. Yeah. <laughs> Tari, we are, the, we are the absolute epitome of professional on this uh, podcast. <laughs> and how dare you with your sarcasm. <laughs>